1: Welcome back to the conversation. A visit with Anne Marie Miller. A look at five things every parent needs to know about kids and sex. Uh, of course, the big issue I think that many parents have always struggled with, Marie, is okay, uh, when do we start the conversation? What's an appropriate age? Do we wait till uh, 17, 15 when they start dating? As you're suggesting, more and more these children are getting exposed to things through social media, through peers, and online at an earlier and an earlier age. Any statistics out there to give us an idea as to just how young potentially they're being exposed to this online?
2: Well, what's interesting about that statistic is that every time it's refreshed, I think I, I started researching the book about three years ago, and the average age of exposure to online pornography was around 11 to 12 years old at that time for most studies, and toward the end of uh, when I was finishing the book and it was going through the editing process and review process that number actually dropped to 8 years old Wow! so within 3 years it dropped to 3 years of of age for children that are being exposed and it's not like our children are going out there necessarily and looking up pornography intentionally which sometimes is true maybe they hear a word that they don't know and they look it up Um, but what's happening is that people that market pornography are, are really targeting younger and younger audiences by misspelling common names like maybe if you type in Disney or the White House or just something very common and innocent into the into a search engine and you spell it wrong or they've just created a strategy to expose your child to pornography earlier because we see in the long term that that actually ends up making money for uh, different marketers of
1: pornography. I learned this the hard way many years ago. There was some issue going on in the political arena that I believed our listeners needed to get out in front of. And so I urge listeners to um, go to the uh, White House website and please send an email to the president voicing their opinion. And I gave out the uh, without thinking, gave out the White House address. I won't tell you what the dot aspect of it was, but it wasn't GOV just out Mm -hmm. of habit.
3: Right, and I got a right. couple
1: of calls from listeners the next day that were shocked and said, have you seen what's happened to the White House website? And I said, well, no, what are you talking about? And so we logged on and, and we were shocked, too. So the irony is uh, 30, 40 years ago, you had to go looking for it. You had to go into the seedy part of town and the, the end that nobody ever went to where all the little seedy bars were located. And that's where you had to go to find uh, the stores that cater to people that purchased that stuff. Today, literally, as you're suggesting, Anne-Marie, it comes and finds you, doesn't it?
2: It really does. I mean, we basically have pornography stores that we carry around in our in our pockets and our purses when we carry our cell phones. the The potential to be exposed to something unintentionally is so huge for ourselves and our children um, that we just really need to be aware of that. And that's why I encourage parents to start this conversation—not just one talk. People always refer to it as the talk, but I think it's a series of conversations over many many years as your child gets older
1: all right let's talk about some of the the ground rules if we can here as you point out in the book this goes beyond simply that babies don't come out of cabbage patches and things of this sort We, we we understand some of that a lot of this also gets to the idea of helping to to a certain degree not only inoculate your child against the potentiality of uh, someday developing an addiction to pornography. But more and more, we're also having to teach them earlier and earlier so that they can be better protected if they ever find themselves in a circumstance where it could be anything from um, sexual abuse at the hands of a uh, a trusted relative or, for that matter, even sex trafficking. I mean, it's amazing the kind of horrible things that our children at such a non- young age, and for many parents, think of, you know, that kind of period of innocence, gleeful innocence for many of us, uh, just a couple of generations ago, where you would never think about talking to your child about such matters when they were eight or nine years old. And, and today, as you're suggesting, if you haven't had that conversation, at least by the time they're 10, it, it's likely too late. It's likely they've gotten all the details and gotten a lot of wrong details from some other source.
2: Yes, there's probably some sort of of recovery um, that you're going to have to do with them and and kind of reteaching and refocusing what family values you need to communicate to them. But, I mean, as early as, you know your Your bond with your child starts in infancy, so just by by being there for your child and and naming body parts in the correct way um as early as, as toddler age um is is really important and so that way, when they get to be in elementary school when they're really the most vulnerable because a lot of predators don't think that children know what's a good touch or a bad touch they if they haven't been told because a lot of parents don't tell their children. Um, but by telling your children, you know, if if mom or dad or whoever is the trustworthy guardian, you know, can, can give you a bath and that's okay. Or if your doctor is looking at you and we're in the room, that's okay. But if a stranger or a friend or a teacher touches you somewhere and, and pointing out where those places are, um, if there's no secrets, even if they tell you to keep it a secret, there's no secrets and you need to tell me and, and just, letting them know what what is appropriate and what is not when it comes to who can touch them and where is okay for them to to be touched.
1: What about the parent that is dealing with their own either bad or or painful past either because maybe they've struggled with pornography addiction themselves or have been the victims of abuse and so for them it's a painful topic they're afraid to even broach it and 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 bring it up because they're not quite sure to how to go about addressing this as it brings up issues of their own i i would imagine that even though that might be problematic for a parent that should be no excuse to avoid the topic am i right
2: I'm so glad that you brought that up because you're absolutely right. Parents, I mean, statistically, half of the people listening to your broadcast right now are struggling with some sort of of sexual sin or or an addiction or maybe they were abused. Um, Someone out there is struggling. And when we're in that situation, we think that we cannot be leaders for our children and our families. But I want to just really encourage those people that, that God has equipped you and and he has put you over your family to lead your family they if not mutually exclusive you you must lead your family and and teach your children and yes you you probably have some stuff to deal with on your own too and that's okay but that doesn't mean that you can't teach your children it doesn't make you a hypocrite it doesn't make you ill-equipped um because god has given you that role so you are so vital in, in helping your child form their view on sexuality
1: And perhaps, you know, the the lesson that you do not want to see your son or daughter either repeat the mistakes that you made or go through the painful experience that you've gone through, uh, having been a victim of abuse, that that this is really an opportunity to help prepare them to to as best you can, as any parent would want to, I think, uh, in their heart, want to do all they can to protect their child.
2: Sure, I think I mean we are inherently wired as parents. We want to do the best for our children and, and to protect them and to guard them from anything that can harm them. And I know just within my own life and my husband and I are expecting in July and just the love and protection I, I have already for this child. Um, and, and we're planning now, like when we have these conversations and how will we talk about our past with them. And you don't need to reveal everything about your past to your child. I mean, it's, it's definitely not necessarily even appropriate to do that. But using the experiences in your life that have been harmful to help protect your child is a beautiful way that God can redeem that part of your story.
1: But see, you can cheat here because uh, you wait a couple of years once your son or daughter is, uh, well, probably more than a couple of years. But when they're ready to to read, just say, here, Mommy wrote this book with you in mind. (laughs) Read it and call me if you have any questions.
2: Yep, I've already started reading to to our child um, while while it's growing inside me. So hopefully, it's picking up on a few things early on. But
1: now, as much as I, I mentioned that mentioned that tongue in cheek, stay with us for a minute, if you would, uh, Anne Marie, because I want to come to another another topic, and then we're going to ask Anne Marie to kind of walk us through a quick tutorial on the five things that every parent needs to know about kids and sex. And one of the questions we'll pose is for parents that feel uncomfortable at this topic, ill equipped to address questions or feel like you were born in an you know a light year away that you're so out of touch with what the kids are facing that maybe you think, hmm, gee, if I could just give my son or daughter a book like a copy of Anne Marie's book or or how about this? Just suggest they google it. Anything wrong with that? We'll find out as our conversation with Anne-Marie Miller continues. look at five things every parent needs to know about their kids and sex.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Five things every parent needs to know about their kids and sex. Anne-Marie Miller, our guest tonight, as we're talking about this topic, and more and more parents are coming to the painful realization that it's not a question of... um, necessarily when your children get exposed. That's simply happening earlier and earlier. It's a question of who gets to them first. Do you get to them with the right information, the right answers, in a uh, God-centered, biblically-based fashion, or do you wait for them to learn about it from social media, their peers, or the Internet? We're talking about that very topic, and, and one of the things, um, before we get to have you walk through these five things um, that every parent needs to know, Anne-Marie, is this idea of some parents that feel as if, well, I, I feel a little bit awkward about this so i'm just going to suggest to my son or daughter that they google it to get more information uh, is that bad advice
2: that is really bad advice. So please do not do that. Um, that's actually one of the five points that we'll get to um, as far as the five things that parents need to know. Is We live in a generation where when we don't know the answer to something, we just Google it. We just look it up on the Internet. And when it comes to issues of sexuality, when you do that, and especially with younger generations, they don't want to sit and read an article. They're going to Google image search that So um, they're going to get exposed to images that are just inappropriate for them to see.
1: All right. Let's let's walk through these five things. And you you detail them in the book and realize, of course, for listeners, that uh, this is not meant to be exhaustive. Uh, This is meant to kind of hit the highlights for you and then encourage you to get a copy of Anne Marie Miller's new book. By the way, the book is newly published by Baker and available at Christian bookstores around the Bay Area, as well as the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. And, Anne Marie, it's also available on your website.
2: Yes, it sure is. All right, so folks
1: can go to com .com and order the copy of the book there as well. All right, let's break it down. Walk us through, if you would, the five things every parent needs to know about their kids and sex.
2: Uh, The first one is the earlier the better. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier in the show, but talking to your kids about sex from literally birth through 18 and over. Um, We kind of cover what age-appropriate conversations are for different age groups. So if you have a 4-year-old or a 12-year-old, you can kind of know what they're experiencing and what you should probably be talking to them about. Um, the second one is that your child is not the exception, and again, that's something that we we really battle, uh, especially within the Christian community, is we think we're doing everything we can to protect our child, and we are, but that's not the answer. Just having that conversation so that when they are exposed to these things, they can know how to process it in a biblical manner is, is definitely key. Uh, the third thing is just about media. Um, any type of media, TV, movies, radio, music, video games, the whole gamut. I kind of just uh, did a lot of research about what's on these different forms of media and how children are exposed to them and and the, the risk and benefits and it, it was really shocking to me, um, to be quite honest, to to watch a show that's rated for 14-year-olds and be exposed to 40 or 50 sexual references in just a few minutes.
1: I, I was so. shocked the the other day. I, I happened to catch a repeat of one of the movies in the Shrek series.
2: hmm
1: And... I, I, I it hit me at so much a surprise, I, I, I didn't even, at first I thought, oh, I'm clearly misunderstanding this, until I realized that, that one of the characters written into, I think it's Shrek 3, is, is intentionally created as a transsexual. And I thought, yeah. oh, well, we're just keeping up with the, uh, uh, with the Bruce and Caitlyn Jenner times, I suppose.
2: Yeah, even in, I mean, (laughs) Shrek is cute, but even like in the original Shrek, uh, the magic mirror talks to Snow White and says, just because she lives with seven men doesn't mean that she's easy. I mean that says he, that mirror says that in
1: the first track. You know the irony That's is that we realize that there are adults who write the scripts who to do the artwork, so they're going to occasionally put content in that seems to get the guffaws out of the adults in in the audience. But of course they fail to recognize that the the biggest group of consumers of that content are going to be children. And make no mistake about it, there's got to be some degree to which part of this kind of the you know the, the behind the scenes inside ha ha ha. Let's pull one over kind of a deal. And part of it has got to be some intentional effort. I mean, I, I, I looked at this one character in Shrek 3 and I thought they're intentionally trying to prepare kids for that early age uh, in, in introducing them to the topic of, of uh, transsexualism, which, you know, given the the debate going on in this country today regarding children and the use of bathrooms and, and whatnot, and a bill that even here in California has been uh, facing a court challenge that pushes the very same topic. You, you, would, you would think that these films that are geared for children would be safe for children, but that isn't always the case. And I I suppose to a great degree, parents find themselves in the very unenviable position of having to explain things that they never thought they would be discussing with a seven-year-old.
2: You're absolutely right. It's it's really amazing. And, and sadly, it's become kind of the new norm um, because we have a, a set of values that's very different from what the world puts in the media. You know, we're shocked and we're, we're horrified to hear these things or to see these things. But it's just another day at the office for a lot of people, and they don't give a second thought about it.
1: Okay, so from the media, point number four.
2: Um, so we move from media into that whole Google is the new sex ed idea that we are a generation, we are a, a world almost where when we don't know something, we go to the internet. If you, as an adult, if you need to know how thorough your meat needs to be cooked when when you're making a steak or a hamburger you google it or if you want to know who sings a certain song you google it and it's the same way when our kids hear a a word in school or that their peers say and they think that it might be a bad word they will turn to the internet because they don't want to turn to your parents because they're embarrassed or their friends so they go to the internet, put the word in, and then that's how a lot of children are exposed to pornography
1: for the first time. And amazingly, of course, uh, you know, again, talk about feeling your 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 eons, light years away. Where for my generation, if you had questions, you either looked it up in your Encyclopedia Britannica or in the reference department of the local library. Where even if there were any of those books that might be questionable, they were they were under lock and key. And when you walked up to the to the reference librarian's desk and. Clearly you were, you know, seven years old or 10 years old, you didn't get access to that stuff. There's nobody there with any of this under lock and key, is there? I mean, even if a parent says, oh, we put certain filters on and we're trying to do our best, the reality is, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Anne-Marie, it isn't even as much a question of your child going and looking for it, even if they are. The reality is this stuff is coming and looking for your child, isn't it?
2: It's very true that 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 is very often the case.
1: Okay, and point number five
2: and um, the point number five is that sexually abused children rarely speak up, mm. and that was something that um, unfortunately, I know it makes every heart and every every parent quiver just a little bit to think that. Um, their their child could be sexually abused and and not know about it my My own parents didn't know about my abuse until I was twenty eight and that was twelve years after it happened and There's so much shame and stigma tied with sexual abuse that we really um, victims of abuse tend to keep quiet
1: so there's a lot of work that needs to be done by parents and, and one of the one of the issues here. You you led with it. The, the matter of um, the age at which you start to address these matters with your child, and I know that it's going to cause a sense of embarrassment or chagrin for a lot of parents to think I I, I can't really be can't, it's really talking to an eight year old about such things. And you know I think when a lot of us were were kids of that age back. Uh, In the last century, uh, you know, if, if our parents brought such matters up, they gave cutesy names to body parts, and so we all we all kind of chuckled over it. But the idea of of addressing your child to protect your child from such abuse or from such exposure uh as as counterintuitive as it seems to be we want to think we want to protect our child by inoculating them or or isolating them from exposure to all of this but again i guess the the big warning if there is any from your book is the big takeaway Anne marie the idea that they're going to get it the question is what source are they going to get it from and how is it going to be couched or presented
2: Yes, that's that's absolutely right. And I think, again, that parents have got to be on the front line of this. And oftentimes in in books past, you know, people recommend getting in the car and driving with your child somewhere to have these conversations so that there's no escape. And I think that actually kind of plays into the message that there's something to be ashamed of. But it's really, I think, our, our opportunity as parents to, to sit down with our child and look them in the eye and, and talk about these things. And yes, it, it's going to be a little awkward, but to embrace that and know that sex is not a dirty topic that we need to sweep under the rug. And, you know, it's this beautiful gift that God's given us to share between a, a man and his wife in marriage. And outside of that, the world's distorted it. But just to normalize that conversation so that your kids can feel safe to talk to you about questions and they don't feel awkward when you, when you bring stuff up, um, that's, that's just really key. That conversation is really key.
1: And, and certainly, as I think you suggest, creating a safe environment, a healthy environment, in which these conversations can take place, in which children feel comfortable approaching mom and dad, too, with questions, is going to go a long way toward making sure that it doesn't take place eventually later on out of and beyond your control in very unsafe environments. That can be every every gambit from teaching uh, values that are con- contrary to the the Christian ethic, the biblical uh, uh, standard that you want to create in your home and for your child, and and, and to the, the, the sad and horrific continuum of sexual abuse if your child isn't prepared to know what it is and what to look out for a look at five things every parent needs to know about their kids and sex again newly published by Baker Books available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Ann Marie Miller's website at annmariemiller.com that's annmariemiller.com
0: and now back to Lifeline with Craig
1: Roberts America's at war right now. We we forget this. Uh, we don't. Uh, for many of us, we are we, not aware of it. It's kind of silently going on in the background. We don't feel the pain of it because we either don't know anybody who's serving, or you know, we, we don't do things like you know, aluminum and tire drives, and there there isn't meat and sugar rationing, so we're not really aware of the sacrifice that's involved in military duty. But for those military families in America, hundreds of thousands of them, they know what it's like each and every single day. And we thought we'd spend some time just kind of educating all of us on, on what they go through and the amazing sacrifice, not just on the battlefield, but even back at home, uh, on the home front. Uh, with a mother or a father or both sometimes and kids that, that are, that are at home kind of keeping the, the, the home fires burning, so to speak, while mom or dad are overseas, uh, in, in service to our country. Joining me now is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti. Um, he with his wife Peggy, Penny rather, are, uh, authors of a new book called Call to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military families and uh lieutenant manetti and penny great to have both of you with us
3: thank you it's great to be here yeah thanks Craig.
1: great to be on board we were we were trying to debate uh ahead of the conversation today uh, tony um short for your position is it lieutenant is it colonel or 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 would military decorum insist to be lieutenant uh, colonel call
4: me tony but i'm a lieutenant colonel in the air force
1: in the air force okay but typically there's no way to really truncate that is there
4: No, not really. Lieutenant Colonel.
1: Lieutenant Colonel. We'll go with Tony. I like that. It's easier.
4: Tony's fine, man. I am originally from Brooklyn, New York, so, you know, um, Tony makes me feel like I'm back home.
1: There you go. All right. Well, Well, Tony, talk to us a bit first, if you would, about the reality check here that a lot of, I think families who are beginning the experience of military duty, they might either be newly married or newly into the military, and even for the rest of us out there that really don't understand what your families go through. Yeah,
4: for those of you that are just joining uh, the military, and for those of you have no clue on what it's like to be in the military, um, I'm glad to talk to you a little bit about Call to Serve and, and what it's like. Uh, I've had the privilege to serve in America for almost 24 years now. As an officer in the United States Air Force, and uh, I can just tell you that it's a privilege and an honor to be part of the military. Um, but it's also really exciting, and uh, lo- you know, lots of new changes every day uh, as far as uh, you know what you may or may not be doing. I mean, I've, I've been called to serve and, and gone overseas on moments' notice, and next thing I know, I'm in a foreign country, and, and it's exciting. But there's also a lot of transitions and challenges that we have to. Uh, uh, take part of, especially for our families, and that's. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, for example, my oldest son Nico, who right now just graduated from Chapman from in L.A. Uh, he he went to three different high schools. You know, in in three years, and for those of us that have been to high school, you know how tough it is to move once, and to let alone three times. So yeah, you know, it, it take gets them getting used to lots of moves, lots of transitions. But overall, uh, we have a heart for service to America, and and we just find it's a privilege and an honor to serve
1: it was interesting because some of us on the outside that that are not involved in active military duty or perhaps have never been a part of a military family uh see the excitement the glamour you know that you're traveling and you're doing all of this and and you know and a lot of it no doubt is born out of the television ads that we see you know the right. recruitment ads and so forth but not really realizing that there's a backside story to this that is difficult. That is painful at times. That certainly is is challenging. I guess when you get on the back side of it, uh, the, a lot of those those initially painful and frustrating moments turn into 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 joyful ones on the backside. I, I Penny, yeah. I had to laugh in in reading your story. Uh, you got uh, to talking about um, when you guys were called to uh, uh, Vicenza in in northeast Italy, and you're. <laughs> Your initial experience is there, um, which I don't know if Let you're Let me ba-
3: go home to yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know,
1: obviously, Tony's background is Italian. Is your, are you of Italian descent as well?
3: No, I'm not. And I, I thought I knew Italian until I put my feet on foreign soil in Italy and realized how fast they talk. So <laughs> it was, you know, it it was such an eye opening experience going to another country, and I, I wish everybody in the in America has the experience of living in another country at least for uh, a month to to realize um, how great it is in America. But when when we went there, uh, our initial, you know, when we first landed there, the. Um, i I tell the story about being in uh at a fountain and uh hearing the the kerplunks and the of coins going into a fountain and as i toss my coins and i make sure they missed because the legend of the trevi fountain is that when you throw the coin into the fountain you'll return to return that's right yeah and at that point there was nothing i wanted more than to be back home in america and uh but as i as I experienced Italy and I learned the culture um, and this was after a a, a very uh, interesting first first month because my husband was hospitalized and had to undergo surgery and so during that time I had I was on my own with the kids to find an apartment not speaking the language and going through a lot of the um, you know, trying to get through Italy and the driving and all of the, you know, things that you have to get through in a new country, and we weren't really affiliated with the base. We were an hour and 20 minutes away from a base.
1: So, so you really didn't have the support necessarily there of the fellow, you know, uh, <laughs> military personnel. You're in a strange country, um, and, and and I have to admit, we Italians can be sometimes a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, <laughs> the, the stories you share of your your first meeting with your with your downstairs neighbor were particularly Uh, Well,
3: you know, after being cooped up in a hotel for a month with three kids and a dog, and, um, and Tony was still on bed rest, We moved over to finally finding an apartment with a kitchen because you can't find one in Italy that has a kitchen because everybody takes them when they move. And we finally found one with a kitchen and as we were moving in and the kids were getting ready to go to the pool because I I bribed them with going to the pool after we unpacked and uh, I heard a knock on the door and as I went to the door, a beautiful middle-aged woman came to the door and uh, I thought, God, this is wonderful. We've got Italian hospitality right off the bat. They're going to welcome me. <laughs> and she said, in broken English, she said, she said, how long do you plan on being here? And I said, well, maybe two years. And she said, well, I cannot have all of this noise on my head for two years. I, I want you to stop. And, and, she was, and she said something in Italian that I'm sure was not very nice, and she stormed out the door. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is this is my first experience with our neighbors. So we were a little bit—I was a little bit frazzled—and so I took the kids to the pool. And as I went to the pool, I sat down on a chair and the, and found one that wasn't populated. It was, a, you know, there was a very crowded. And I sat down, and the whole chair busted, and, and I saw the Tatiana was the lady downstairs. I saw her smirking with another woman, and I could tell, even in another language, they were probably talking about me. And uh, then a, a, an Adonis-looking man came over to my chair, and he said in broken English, these chairs belong to people here. You're going to need, you know, this is not, you're going to have to take care of the expense for this chair. And... And so I decided okay it 's time for me to go back to the apartment and As I went back, I realized because I was frazzled, I locked the the keys into the house and uh, So, I called my husband, he called the landlady and explained to him in- Ita- her in Italian that you know what had happened and so uh, she said she would come right over in three hours, and <laughs> so you're
1: lucky yeah, it was that it, you're lucky it was that quickly.
3: You're right. Usually it's Domani. We learned that Domani, Domani, in Italian. But uh, anyway, she came over three hours and twenty minutes later to find us sunburned and thirsty, and and uh, I I explained to her in in English, and even though she didn't understand a word, she under she empathized with me and gave me a big hug and. From then on I learned that um that the Italian culture, uh, I, we learned to embrace it. And instead of being afraid of another country, we learned to um, to, to really embrace their, their values and their culture, and ended up having a, just a beautiful experience where at the end of my story, I'm back at Trevi Fountains and I'm throwing loads of coins in because I didn't want to leave, this I considered home. So it's all it's all in the, the what you make of it. And, and
1: along the way, I'm sure, you, if not learning literally how to speak the language you know if you know how to use your hands in the right places at the right time you know that that that's the that's best way correct. to communicate my my father has a great joke he says you know how to make an italian shut up Tie his hands behind his back. <laughs>
3: that's I, how, that's I, how I silence my husband. You're I, right. <laughs> I, I can
1: say that because I'm Italian. We're going to take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation with us tonight. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti along with his wife, Penny. The book is called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And, and the new book, by the way, published by Discovery House. You can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. We'll come back with some more insights as this edition of Lifeline and with Lieutenant Colonel Tony Manetti from the United States Air Force, along with his wife, Penny, we're talking about a new book called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. You know, as much as we, I got such a big kick out of your, your experiences there, um, Penny, in Vicenza, the notion that for a lot of families, this is a sad story, this is a tough thing, there are some wives out there that say, you know, when... When I met my spouse, he wasn't in the military, or if he was, I don't know that I fully understood this, and he's the one who enlisted, not me, and all of a sudden we're now kind of all in this thing together.
3: It it really is a team effort. You can't do it uh, one person, and that's one thing that I, I've realized with most spouses is that they understand that in, they're serving their country also by supporting their spouse on the home front while they're away on the battlefront see if there's any
1: message we could communicate to those eavesdropping on our conversation tonight that think of the one who is in service to god and country in the military as singularly the individual who you know carries the the epilepsy or the the, the you know the the military regalia or or what have you it's not just them literally the families are in service as well aren't they
3: yeah you you really are and the one thing that i would leave with spouses that's so important while their warriors are serving abroad is not to isolate themselves, to stay connected with family members, with their churches, with their uh, community and the military. Because once you become isolated, and, and the Bible verse comes to mind of 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert your enemy prowls around like the roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The lion, when he hunts, he separates the the prey from the pack. And that's what the devil does with with any of us in our lives, that when he wants to attack is he separates us from those who give us the most strength. And sticking with, uh, you know, with your your accountability partners, with um, good friends, that helps. And that's the same goes with the warriors that are serving overseas, that they surround themselves with a good... Strong community of friends and uh, positive influences, and stay in the Word. That is that is what the you know the best thing to do.
1: Tony, does that also give you a sense of peace of mind as well? Because let's face it, you're you're out there. You're right now. You're flying the, the B two stealth bomber. You're going on missions and, and sorties and so forth. Uh, does it give you a greater sense of of peace as you're about this very stressful, critically important job? to know that things are being taken whole, care of at home?
4: Well, without question, every every warrior that, that deploys overseas is more at peace and able to focus on the mission when they know that uh, their families are being taken care of. And I can I can tell you that our government and our Department of Defense does a great job and uh, supporting our families, giving them good medical treatment, you know, giving them good security and housing. I mean, there's no other greater country than, than America on this planet, and and it's nice to know that that our our uh, government, our our, our military is taking care of our families. But more importantly, like Penny was alluding to, uh, it, it starts with the home. As far as you, as a, as a warrior, explaining to your wife and children and being honest with them that there's there's a possibility you may deploy at any moment. And so, it's, you know, have your will done, power of attorney, have the, the lines of communication open so that they know that they can rely on talking to you if and when possible. But more importantly, that, that to know that they're, they're a strong family unit so that when you leave, they're going to be taken care of because they're strong.
1: Absolutely. Uh, any, any words of advice that you can share? Uh, let me start, uh, Tony, first with you. Um, uh, for those listening right now that are not in the military, um, you know, you're, you're doing your duty. I think we as Americans have a duty to you, uh, to help support you. What 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 should we who are, are, are in the civilian end of this, uh, how can we better support you guys, and, and most importantly, your families too?
4: I think uh, that's a great question, uh, Craig. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that, you know, when we're in uniform and people see us either at the airport or, or even just uh, in town, that they say thanks for serving. I know that sounds cliche ish, but just the, uh, knowing that you care and you're appreciated is great. And I, I can also say that if there's business people out there, um, I know times are tough, uh, but if you offer some sort of military appreciation, uh, whatever that may be, it, it just, it's just special. My son just enlisted in the Army um, a few weeks ago, decided to go in. And Wait a minute, wait a minute. The the
1: Army? You're in the Air Force. Hang know, on a minute please. here. What happened, Forget Tony? I don't even let me go in. What anymore? happened? <laughs>
4: <laughs> He's always wanted to be a G.I. Joe, you know?
1: It's okay. But, both uh, both of my grandfathers were in the Navy. What does my really? father do? He joins the Marines.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a true joint force now. But when my, when my, what I was getting at was Antonio joined the military. They gave him an ID card. He starts training here soon. And, um, and he went to a store, and they, they, they gave him a military discount, like 10% off. And he goes, wow, Dad, that's really cool that they appreciate me. I go, yeah, see that, son? I go, it's just their way of saying thanks. So I would say to the listeners out there um, that, that there's, that's one of the things you can do. Uh, another thing that's, that, that you can do, if you go to call we literally have pages of information. Of and Penny and I have researched uh, almost—I wouldn't say almost—about a hundred different organizations that are supporting the military. And so, if you're interested in getting involved and in connecting with these with these organizations, so that you can connect with warriors overseas, that's another great thing you can do. Of course, there's uh, there's letters of encouragement you can write. When I was overseas, I would get letters from kids saying thanks for serving America. I mean, that, that meant so much to me. I still have those letters. The boxes. Down the basement, and that because it just meant a lot
3: to
1: me, you know. Yeah, and and supporting organizations like the USO and so forth. Absolutely, and yes, sir. No doubt about it. And, and Penny, from your perspective, uh, same question.
3: Well, I, I would definitely say for those families that are on the home front, and maybe there's someone you go to church with or you know of, um, reaching out to them, just uh, offering them to babysit once in a while. They don't realize that you know you don't really get a break. Often, because you're away from family in most cases, and your husband is usually the break that you or your or your wife, if it's vice versa, is the break that you get when um, to to get out. So just offering to babysit or having someone come over and mow a yard or maybe know a child that is, their parent is deployed and going to their baseball game and taking them out for ice cream afterwards because their parent's not there. It just shows them so much that, that just that they're cared about and it gives that warrior on the, on the battlefront just a sense of peace knowing that his family is being taken care Absolutely. of.
1: Absolutely. Well, I love what you guys are doing. Again, we want to urge folks, uh, you can get educated by getting a copy of this new book, Call to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. Get more details, too, about this ministry, how you can get involved in making a difference and helping to support those in service to our nation through com. That's call to serve Ministry. Dot com. And our appreciation out to uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Minetti and his wife, Penny. Uh, uh, Tony, one thought. When, when you when you talk to Antonio next, you just got to say, you know, kid, you join the Army. Why walk when you can fly?
3: <laughs>
4: I love it. <laughs> I promise you, I'll ask. I'll, I'll, I'll you got to say
1: now. that. You know, <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> Army's okay, but why walk when you can fly?
4: Yeah, I, I don't understand it for the life of me, but, you know, uh, I, I'm happy that he chose to to defend America and be part of our military
1: service. Well, so we, 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 are, we are to privileged America. to have great men like you serving our nation. Thank you so much for yes, the duty sir. that you do. Penny, thank you for the sacrifice that you make in supporting uh, Tony and the job that he does for our nation, and um, keep up the good work. Thank, thank you, sir. God our bless our you. Honor. All right. Thank take you. care now. God bless. Ciao. All right. Yeah. Ciao. As we say in Italian, ci si vediamo pronto.